if you read through chapter 15, you'll find three parables there. And if you look at each parable, you'll find they're very, there's some similarities there. Throughout these three parables, we find Jesus is emphasizing the value on one. You know, what we've done, and I've heard this, and I've heard other preachers say, um, and other folks say, as it relates to this theme, who's your one? Well, there's so many that we want to pray for. And I encourage you, if there's more than one in your life right now that, that you're burdened for, pray for more than the one. But this focus is, is to remind us that Jesus cares about the one. And there should be one that is on our hearts more than others. There should be one that he just brings to our mind and our attention more than others. But when he's bringing others to our hearts and to our minds, that we're not saying don't pray for them. By all means, pray for them. Have gospel conversations with them. Share the gospel with them. But there, there seems to be something about one. We see that throughout the scriptures, throughout the gospels, how, how Jesus went after one, how the disciples went for one. And when they went for one, many things happened. And here, as we look in this passage, we begin to see in, in verses 8 and 10 the importance of one. Have you, ever, have you ever just happened to look down as you were getting out of your car? Or as you're walking toward a department store door and you see this one penny, what do you do? Do you look at it and decide, well, I'll pick it up if it's heads and I'll leave it if it's tails? <laughs> yeah, well, I, you thought I'd forgot that, didn't you? I, yeah. You know, those old sayings and those old little... Uh, I don't want to say what it is. It's witchcraft, basically. <laughs> Those superstitions of picking up a penny that's on tails. Well, well, what do we do? Do we pick it up? Do we walk by? I remember when I was in junior high, the guys in the community in which I, in where I live, we, we would gather regularly to play basketball. And, and we were on our way to, a, to one of our friend's homes to play and and one of the guys who was in high school, he, he bent over and picked up a penny. And I looked. I said, what is he doing? And he picked up one penny. And he was just flipping that penny. Getting ready to put it in his pocket. I said, why did you stop for that one penny? He said, man, he said, pennies make dollars. Dollars make millions. And he put it in his pocket. There was value to him in that one penny. You know, often when we see one penny on the ground, we'll just walk by and think nothing of it. We don't see the real value of that. And when this is the case for us, our assessment of the value of that penny is wrong. Benjamin Franklin said, a penny saved is a penny earned. And he was absolutely right. When we reach down and save a penny from disuse, we've earned ourselves something that has potential to contribute to something that we want in our lives or something that we may even value in our lives. In this parable, Jesus tells the story of a woman who lost one coin. And instead of shrugging her shoulders and walking away, she went about the process of finding this coin, wanting to restore this coin to its proper place. 
This parable, as well as the parable of the lost sheep or the parable of the prodigal son, these three parables are designed to, to bring to our attention that God values one. The Bible says in verse 8 in chapter 15 in the Gospel of Luke, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a camp, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together saying, rejoice with me for I have found the peace which I lost. Oh, that's key. If you take notes, you under, underline that last phrase. Because likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. God's holy word. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity. And now, God, we ask for you and your presence and your divine intervention to work in each and every life throughout the remainder of this service. God, speak to our hearts. And if there's one here who is lost, Help us to see the value that you see and help us, God, to love them so much, value them so much that we seek your face on their behalf and that we reach out to them with the gospel so that they may see that you love them so much that you sent your son to die in their place. Now, God, have your way in the remainder of this service. We'll praise you for what's accomplished. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So when we come here to this text, when we come into this passage of scripture, we here in the right here in the middle of these parables, we find that tax collectors and sinners had drawn near in order to hear Jesus teaching through these parables. Tax collectors and sinners came to hear Jesus. How often don't we find Jesus seeking out one? Do you remember the woman at the well when he told the disciples that I must go through Samaria? And he went out to find that one woman. You know, I don't know how you read that passage, but to me, I see Jesus coming up to that well and he just sitting there on top of the well just waiting for her to come by. He knew what time of day, he knew, he knew exactly what her ritual would be for that day, but he came by. He's seeking one, and here, here in this passage, we see multitudes of, of sinners and tax collectors are there. And as they are listening intently to Jesus, the Pharisees and the scribes were complaining. They were complaining that Jesus was engaging with sinners. You see that there in the first three verses in chapter 15. And what strikes me here is that these religious leaders of that day, they, they didn't express concern for, for those who were far from God. Instead, their concern was that Jesus, the Son of God, this, this great teacher, they didn't believe, they didn't acknowledge him to be the Son of God. They recognized that there was, there was something about him because he could teach the Scriptures like none before him. And they took issue, they took offense to the fact that he would engage 
with lost people. I'll wait. Here, when we, when we look at this, the fact of, that these religious leaders were offended when Jesus was spending time with sinners shares with us just how spiritually immature these religious leaders were. They were extremely immature. Now, if anyone were to tell you that you were spiritually immature, you would take offense to that. Uh, because what we would defend that by is, well, hey, wait, 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 wait. I've been saved for 20 years. Or someone would say, well, I've been saved for 30 years. I'm not spiritually immature. Or I've been saved for 40 or 50 years. Or somebody may have the audacity to say, I've been saved all my life. I'm not an immature Christian. I want to let you know something. You haven't been saved all your life. <laughs> if you run up with someone who says they've been saved all their life, you just go ahead and stop them right there because they've lied. And the truth is not in them because there was once a time when every one of us was on our way to a demon's hell. There was once a time when we were lost and undone. There was a time when we were far from God. And at that time, we had to have God help us to see our need for a Savior. No one's been saved all their life except Jesus. <laughs> yes, well, when we look through here, we find that it was God who had to reveal to us through the power of his Holy Spirit the gospel to us. God had to reveal that Jesus is the only way to him. He had to reveal that he was our savior. He had to reveal to us that we needed to confess our sins in order to be saved. 1 John 1 and 9 tells us that if we confess our sins, he's faithful just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, how long we've been saved has nothing to do with how spiritually mature we are. I've met Christians who've been saved for Two years who are much more spiritually mature than some Christians who've been saved for 40 years. I'm not saying they're not saved. They're just still carnal Christians. And the reason is being spiritually mature has nothing to do with, with, with time. It has everything to do with our investment in the word of God and in time with God. There's a difference in coming to church on Sunday and coming to Bible study on Wednesday night and spending time in God's word throughout the week in, in intimate devotion with him. It's, the sign of spiritual maturity is that when we've read God's word and we can put God's word in its proper context and apply God's word to our lives and live it out in front of others. There's a big difference in knowing God's word and living God's word. And when we only know God's word and we're failing to live God's word, it's a sign of immaturity. Here, these religious leaders were extremely immature. They had lost sight of what the truth of God's word was. They had lost sight of, of their purpose in life. And their purpose was that they would reveal God to the world and bring the world to God. But instead, they just didn't place value on those who were far from God. So here, Jesus challenges them with this parable of the lost sheep. 
he moves from the lost sheep to this passage we're in today, the lost coin. And this parable begins with a search. He begins with a search because this woman had lost a coin. In verse 8, Jesus speaks of a search that's taking place. And this search uh, is a woman who had 10 coins, 10 silver coins, has lost one of those 10, and she is searching for it. She has nine left, and she's searching for the one. I think it's important for us to know what made this one silver coin valuable enough for her to begin searching for one when she had nine left. Well, from a practical standpoint, this one silver coin, it represented one day's wage. So to work all day long, one, the wage for working would be this one silver coin. So practically, this coin had value to it. But even more than the practical value to it, there was a sentimental value to it. This coin, this, these 10 coins that, that women would receive in ancient Israel, when, when these Palestinian women would receive a, a band with 10 coins on it, 10 silver coins at their wedding. And, and it was the same as us receiving a, a wedding ring. And, and when you lose your wedding ring, you go searching for that wedding ring. You don't want your spouse to know you've lost that wedding ring you you may even go and purchase another one to replace that so your spouse won't find out that you've lost the one that they gave you because there's value on that ring and and here she was searching for this frantically because there was a sentimental value as well as a practical value for this coin well some may Some may question if it was that valuable to her, how did she lose it? Well, I want to tell us how we lose things that are valuable to us. (laughs) And you can apply this in ever how the Lord directs your mind. Whether it's time with your children or time with your spouse. You can direct, you can, ever how the Lord directs this to you, whether it's, It's time with friends or even it's time with God. Because what happens is the way we lose something valuable to us is that we just take it for granted. When we take things for granted or we take people for granted, we often ignore them. We will set them aside and give little thought to them. And we can easily get so busy and so distracted that we fail to make someone or something the the priority that he or she should be. And this carelessness will cause us to misplace or lose anyone or anything that has value to us. Here, in light of this text... We find that these Jewish religious leaders had had taken the people of Israel for granted. They had gotten so busy with being so heavenly minded that they were no earthly good. They had their spiritual noses stuck so high up in the air that they could barely see anyone who was a part uh, of, of them as being valuable to God. They were so careless that they only saw people in their sinfulness. They were not able to see them as being valuable to the kingdom of heaven. 
It was this attitude of the Jewish religious leaders that caused Jesus to share this parable. He wanted them to realize that, that just how vulnerable or how valuable lost men, women, boys, and girls are to God, even if it's just one lost soul. So here, this one coin was so valuable to this woman that when she realized it was lost, she searched frantically for it. She began changing the atmosphere of the home. What do you mean by that? Well, the Bible says here that she, that she lit up a candle. It says, what woman, what woman, if she's lost this coin, would not light a candle? So it gives us the, the, the image here of her brightening up the house. You know, I've I done some studying. They said the homes in that day, they, were, they had one little light, one little window in it. It was a, a man-made window about two foot high and about four foot wide. And that's the only window in the whole house. Can you imagine how dark that was? And without the light shining in there, uh, without added light, that little bit of sunlight wasn't enough to light up so you could look for something and find it. And I want to tell you sometimes we'll let the light of God go out of our lives we'll let the light of Christ shine so dim that we can't find ourselves when we realize that we're far from God here she was searching frantically she wanted to so frantically that she knew she had to light up the home But not only did she light a candle, this woman swept through the house. She swept all the dirt and the filth out of her home. This woman seemed to understand that the longer the coin stayed lost, the dirtier it would become. And the harder it would be to find this dirty coin. And right here, I, just, you may think I'm chasing a rabbit or so, but, but just give me, give me just a little bit of leeway right here. Let me say this, that the longer we continue living far from God, the harder it will be to, become, to come to him. The world has this way of gripping us and, and taking control of our lives, and we find ourselves being in places we don't want to be, saying things we don't want to say, and doing things we don't want to do. And if you're thinking, well, I want to be in these places, and I want to say these things, and I want to do these things I assure you today you don't want the consequences that come along with it that's why Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes 12 and 1 remember now your creator in the days of your youth before the difficult days come and the years draw near when you say I have no pleasure in them listen unsaved you may not understand this but the longer you continue in sin the stronger the hold Satan will have on you Sin has a way of taking us farther than we want to go and keep us longer than we want to stay. Oh, I I just thank Brother Lawton for his testimony. How he feels he wasted 67 years. All those years of not having something done for God. I, I just thank God that you were man enough and willing to share that with us. Because if you're here and you don't know Jesus, I don't care what age you are, you don't have time to waste. This woman searched for a coin until she found it. She clearly understood that this coin's purpose and usefulness depended solely on it being found. You know, truth is, if it's lost... It has no value. 
But when it's found, there's value to it. And that's how our lives are. When I was lost in sin, there was no value to my life. There was no, there was no heavenly value to anything that I'd done. There was nothing beneficial or profitable that when I left this world, that would be, that would be something that I could carry with me. But when I come to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior, when he became real into my life, now I've got something valuable that I'm going to take with me as long as I live. And, and thanks be to God that I get to live for all eternity. For when I leave this world, I'm going to heaven with Jesus Taking me in there. We wouldn't have that without salvation. This woman, she searched until she found it. So right now, my question is, what side are we on? Are we on the side of these ancient religious Jewish leaders who were who were placing no value on those who were lost? Are we, are we sticking our spiritual noses so high up in the air that we can't see anyone worthy of hearing the gospel? Or are we like this woman who lost this coin? Do we see every individual as potential of being an asset to the kingdom of heaven? Do we look upon them as being valuable to God? And are we willing to share the gospel? Because the gospel is the power of God for salvation. Whether it's a friend, whether it's a relative, whether it's an acquaintance or a neighbor. Are we really committed to seeking out our one? Now I'm not saying this or preaching this because we only got two on there. Because mine has not been moved over there. I just want to remind us and encourage us that we can never give up on our one. We launched this Who's Your One on September 22nd, and I want to encourage you today to not give up. You may have gone over your 30 days in praying, but I want to tell you, keep praying. You may be going over your 30 days in, in having gospel conversations, but I want to encourage you to continue to have gospel conversations. You may be going over your 30 days in, in sharing the gospel with them. Well, continue sharing the gospel. Don't give up. Don't become like those Jewish religious leaders. Don't begin looking at, at someone as if you're wasting your time praying for them. Instead, be like this woman and see the, key, see the kingdom value that, that is in these people who are far from God. Commit to continuing to share the gospel with him or her. Commit to praying for him or her. Commit to having these gospel conversations with him or her. Continue to commit to invite them to church. Why? Why is it important for us to continue to be diligent? Because after the search, <laughs> there's satisfaction. The search may cause pain. The search may cause heartache. The search may cause frustration. The search may call dark nights. The search may cause us to weep. <laughs> but when the search is over, there's joy in the morning. There's satisfaction that comes. If you don't believe that, go ask that family in Laurenburg. 
about that, that, that afternoon when they realized that their three-year-old daughter was lost and all the crying and the tears that was wept and, and all the, the panic and heartache and how dark that night was, but they kept searching. And when they found this girl and, and her dog had never left her side and, and how the joy and the satisfaction that they found when, when she was okay. The search might be hard, but when the search is over, there's joy and satisfaction. And we see that right here in the text. Here, once the coin was found, it brought great joy to the woman. God rewarded her efforts and prayers by allowing her to find this one coin that was valuable to her. And by this, but this was was news that she wasn't able to keep to herself. The woman called her friends, her neighbors, and she called them together for a celebration, and her lost coin had been found. It was a moment when she wanted those closest to her to share in this, in this day. But what's interesting here is what she called her neighbors and said. She said, I have found the peace which I had lost. She acknowledged her responsibility in that moment. In that moment, she acknowledged her failing to be responsible to what had been given to her. Oh, are you with me? Can you see why we underlined that, that phrase? It, it, she had negated or neglected her responsibility to the gift that God had given her. She had these, this set of coins and she got careless. And she wasn't responsible and she had lost one. Now she has found it. I just wonder, <laughs> I wonder how many of us realize that the light of Christ must shine bright in our lives or we may become a stumbling block for lost souls to be saved. You know, God has given us a gift, and that gift is salvation. And it's an eternal gift. And it's not a gift that we hoard up. It's a gift that we share. Because the more we share this gift, the more responsible we are with this gift. The more that we share it with others and let, the, let others come and be able to take part of this gift, the greater the gift becomes. If you've never won someone to the Lord, I dare you to try it. I dare you to try it. I, I, I promise you, you'll get frustrated. But I dare you to be faithful to it. I dare you to. Because if you're faithful to it, you won't be satisfied with winning just one. You'll never be satisfied with winning just one. But as long as we're not sharing the gospel, as long as we're satisfied with who we are, and that my family is saved, we're all right, we'll get careless. We'll get neglectful with this gift that God's given us. And we'll be like this woman saying, I lost it. Folks, it's very difficult for us to win someone when the light of Christ isn't shining in our lives. Larry Stewart said this, he, he, he lost his job, he was living in a car, found himself hungry and broke, 
So he decides to go into a restaurant and he ordered a big breakfast. His plan was when the check come, he was going to claim that he had left his wallet. He couldn't find it. When that happened, the owner of the diner, Mr. Ted Horn, came from behind the counter, bent over to the floor near where Mr. Stewart was sitting, picked up and said, you must have dropped this, placed the $20 bill on the table. He was able to pay for his breakfast and had change for his pocket. From that, Mr. Stewart, he vowed that that day that he would help others whenever he could. He made his way to Kansas City, eventually made a lot of money in business. And at Christmas, Stewart would search for people in worn-out coats and old cars. He'd find them at thrift stores and, and coin-operated laundromats, and he would give them cash. He called himself the secret Santa. He asked only that they would in turn help someone else. Over time, Mr. Stewart gave away an estimated of $1.3 million. Mr. Stewart died in February 2006, and on his deathbed, he confided in one of his friends about the work he had done as the secret Santa. And his friend valued that he would carry on Mr. Mr. Stewart's work. And now there are many secret Santas across the country. They have one condition to those receiving, and that is that they pass it forward. It was said of Mr. Stewart, he lit a candle every Christmas that was so bright everyone could see. Matthew 5 and 16 says, Jesus tells us, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. This woman acknowledged her failing. And in acknowledging her failing, she's now brought others to rejoice with her because she was able to find that that she had lost. I don't know whether you've been such a stumbling block I don't know whether I've been such a stumbling block to someone, but if I have, I pray that God would shine that light in me to where I could go to that person who I caused the stumble and seek their forgiveness and tell them about the man who changed my life. I believe when that takes place, we want to tell others. You know, I've been rejoicing with Brother Lawton for, for, over, for almost a month now. Since the time I got the news, I've been telling people, Lawton's gotten saved. <laughs> it's no longer Lawton, it's Brother Lawton. I told preacher friends, Jarrell Brewer, he was as excited as I was. His friend had gotten to know Jesus. You know, I believe that when we come to find one who's lost, we'll tell others about it. We'll tell others. That's what this woman done. You know why we want to tell others about this? 
because even the ones in heaven are rejoicing. <laughs> and we just want to rejoice along with them. Here we're told that there was a rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Heaven gets excited when one who is lost is found. You know, we had this little celebration. I can't imagine what celebration went on in heaven on October the 5th. I can't imagine what, what, what took place up there. But you know, one day, if the Lord allows time to permit, it's going to be us up there. <laughs> it's going to be us up there rejoicing when we get news that one lost soul has come to Jesus Christ. It's going to be us rejoicing for all eternity and experiencing the joy that they were experiencing when you got saved, when I got saved, when your loved ones got saved. Why? Because something of value has been restored to its proper place. Folks, we, I've told you the story. God created everything and we broke it. So he sent his son to rescue us and restore us to him. And the day we give our life to Jesus, we've been restored and God's been glorified and Jesus is magnified. Do you know why? Because we miss hell. A soul misses hell. It's a glorious day when a lost person is saved by the grace of God. Nothing honors God like a soul being saved. So as every head's bowed, every eye's closed, and I want us to know this. God's not interested in what you think your worth is. He's not interested in what others think that your worth is. Well, we hope you've enjoyed the message today. And if you happen to not have a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, we want to invite you to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. It's as simple as the ABCs. If you would admit that you are a sinner and that you are in need of a Savior and believe that God sent his very son, Jesus Christ, to come to this earth to be the sacrifice for our sins and that he died for our sins and he arose on the third day. And then if you would confess him as your Lord and Savior, you can be saved. You must believe this with all your heart and you must be willing to serve him. If you are, all you have to do is talk with Jesus. You don't need a preacher. You don't need a church to get saved. But if you get saved, find yourself a Bible-believing church. And I believe God will richly bless you.